Hello and welcome to How to Be a Money Magpie, the podcast from moneymagpie.com, sponsored by the pension provider PensionBee. I'm Jasmine Bertels, the founder of Money Magpie, and this podcast series looks at all sorts of aspects of money, from freebies to investing, and from holiday tips to ways to set up a business on the side. We're looking at all different elements of pensions at the moment, and today we are focusing on women and pensions, a subject that keeps coming into the news, and we see over and over how women lag behind men in their pension savings. So today I am joined by Romy Savova, who is the founder and CEO of PensionBee, our sponsor, and also the financial journalist from The Telegraph, Jessica Beard, who specialises in pensions. Hello to both of you. Hi. Hi. Hello. So together we're going to look at how women can make the most of pensions and make sure that they don't lose out. And Romy, I'm going to start with you because, frankly, it's pretty unusual for a woman to set up a pensions company. Did you set it up with women particularly in mind? I didn't set up Pension B with women particularly in mind because pensions is a minefield that impacts virtually every single consumer in the UK. But of course, I am a woman, so I hope I do bring a bit of a female angle into the business and our approach to simplicity uh, and just product development in general. And increasingly on a personal level, how women can do more with their pensions is on my mind. Uh, So I'm really pleased to be here today. Oh, great. And Jessica, I know you write a lot about pensions, including the problems that women have with both estate and private pensions. What do you see are the main issues that come up again and again, particularly for women and pensions? I mean, there's a lot of different issues and challenges that women face um, more than men. So just picking up first on the state pensions you mentioned there, um, broadly, you'd expect there not to be too much of a divide. But, you know, in reality, there is. And that comes down to a lot of time women have to take time out of work. They've got caring responsibilities um, and they might miss out on really valuable years of paying in their national insurance credits. So they might get to retirement age and find that they don't get the full state pension. And that's, you know, the part that's within their control. There's then another side of it where, you know, earlier this year, the DWP, the government acknowledged the fact that they've been underpaying a lot of women their state pensions. So I think it's about one billion pounds that's owed. Retired women have needlessly been living on less than they should have been getting. Just going on to private pensions briefly, again, the you get this motherhood penalty with women taking time out of work. You get a good daughter penalty, it's called, um, where they, they care for their elderly relatives. So in general, women miss out on really crucial years of saving there. And it's years that they could be making up for by doing other things. There are certain tricks uh, that they can they can do to make sure that they're not missing out on that money. What are those tricks? Can, can you give me some of those those tricks that they can play? For example, if if you're about to go on maternity leave, you are likely not to be going to pay into your pension for that period of time. So what you can do is get your partner to agree to maybe split his pension contributions um, for that period of time, and that means that you're not missing out because you know. It's hard to quantify, but a small amount putting into your pension very early on can mean extra years worth of retirement income when you come to it. 
Excellent. Yes. And uh, I mean, in a way that isn't that the point of, of the stakeholder pension that, that you know, the, the, the Labour, Labour government brought in 20 years ago, that the idea was to help women. It, it's ended up helping babies as well, <laughs> which is kind of not the point, I think. But do you think things have improved a bit, since, you know, in the last 20 years or is it still actually as, as bad as it was? I mean, it's still things have been improving but the pandemic's pushed everything back again so you know those issues that i just mentioned were exacerbated by the pandemic really amplified and it meant that the gap actually got wider over these past 18 months so we're going backwards in that respect i got some figures i think the gap widened by 27,000 pounds on average and the women's pension pots are it's 180,000 pounds smaller on average than men's so there is a real issue there and a, and a gap that's still exists. Yes, Romy, you know, I'm sure you, I know Pensionbee has done some research uh, into women and pensions. Um, you're trying to, you know, find that how to close the, the gender pension gap. Um, what have you found? Absolutely. We, we have looked into this several times and I think a lot of the prevailing wisdom will tell you how women can do more, but really women are already doing a lot as just highlighted women are already taking on additional caretaking responsibilities so I think asking women to do more needs to be put into the context of everything we are already doing so with that in mind we approached this problem with a fresh pair of eyes and really dug into why it is that women's pensions are smaller and on the surface of course one of the main drivers is the fact that women simply earn less than men for every hour worked and it's a well-known phenomenon across the UK um, you know I, there have been protests about it the gap is starting to narrow but it's very much prevalent so if you earn you know 10% or 15% less than your male colleagues then you are going to have less in your pension if you take time out to have children, then you are going to have less in your pension because one, you won't probably be contributing for your full maternity leave, but also when you return, you are often penalized because you take on a lot of the caretaking responsibilities. The solution to this is to really make our lives more equal with those of men. When we look at the gender pay gap and the gender pension gap, what we find is that in earlier years, men and women are earning pretty similar amounts and they are making similar contributions into their pensions. And it's really when you start having time out to have children and to raise your children that the discrepancy starts to arise. Um, so the direct intervention for that, as we have found in, in our data, is really that men and women should be sharing parental leave. Uh, and if you talk to women about this, I think that they're quite positive to be sharing that responsibility, which is a huge responsibility mm -hmm. with their partners. Um, and when you talk to men about it, they too are very much open to, you know, being a more active part of their children's lives. And so it's important, I think, as well to pick employers um, that support that kind of decision making. Mm -hmm. So we at Pension B, for example, we focus on parental leave. We don't focus on maternity leave because this is a job ideally for, for both parents. Um, if you can stop that trend in the early days, if you can actually 
you know, have men and women contributing equally to caring responsibilities, and we can achieve that on a societal level, then every man and every woman who returns to work will be returning on an equal footing, and we are less likely to see the proliferation um, of the types of effects that, you know, excluding women from the workplace for prolonged periods of time can have. Um, and that's really the key to nipping this in the bud. Pensions are investments. And that means that if you have a small gap early on, that gap magnifies dramatically over time and leads to the figures that Jess was mentioning because, because of investment returns. The gap as a result of investment returns simply gets bigger over time. But there, there is a solution to it. And I think, you know, many men and women would embrace it. Yeah, definitely. And it's a good point, Jessica. That, I mean, you've mentioned uh, a few things that, that women can do. And of course, as, as Romy said, we we need it's a societal change you know, that we need, which is kind of out of some women's power. You know, it's more society. But what what other things can women do that are within their power? Is, is there is there more that we could be doing to protect ourselves later on? Definitely. Um, I mean, I think one thing Roby mentioned there is, you know, how much just a little bit extra can can make in the long run. So, for example, if if women raise the amount that they put into their pensions by just one percentage point, um, it can add 25 percent. It can boost their pension by a quarter by the time they reach, you know, their 60s, um, which which can give them years of extra retirement income. So it's very little of a sacrifice today for, for more tomorrow. And that, that's if people can afford to put more in. So most employers will have um, a salary sacrifice scheme. So at the moment, anyone in a defined contribution, a workplace pension, um, will be putting in 8% of their salary. So that's um, often their employer will put about 3% in. Um, and they'll put the rest but under salary sacrifice it's an agreement that you make with your employer and um, it means that you you put in more of your salary before it's taxed before national insurance comes out it just means that it's a really tax efficient way of putting more towards your retirement later on and going back to the basics it is where your pension is invested so the first place to start really is look at what what is it what's the money in what are you invested in so just having a look around kind of familiarizing yourself with how it works um, and whether you think that's that's right for you you know mm. you might decide that you want to to invest it in something completely different you might want it to to be a little more risky if you're a bit younger or you might decide that it's you know you want something even more defensive mm. and I know that it could be quite overwhelming a lot of women get so many surveys in from industry experts every week saying women feel like investing isn't for them or they're really intimidated by it. But the first place is just check out your pension. Just try to understand it, do a bit of research and go from there. That's a really good point, actually, because, yeah, as you say, we're always getting information saying that, that women are risk averse. And yet when women know what they're doing or have, have some confidence, they actually invest slightly better than men. So, you know, we, we really should be getting on with it, as you say. So I guess it's a question of speaking to HR if, if you're employed or, you know, literally phoning up your pension company and going, what have you got the money in and you know how well is it doing and, and tell me you know actually finding out would that be the thing to do 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, as you say, women are more risk averse, but that's actually quite a good thing. So your pension will be invested in something that's good for you anyway. That's fine. So you could leave it where it is, but there's no harm in having a look at it. And as you say, going to your employer, finding out a bit more. Um, and when women do tend to invest, they tend to spread it across multiple kind of buckets and different funds, which is really good um, in terms of limiting the risk that they're taking. So actually, when they do get involved, we do a better job of it often, they say, than men. So, yeah. So we might as well, absolutely. And Romy, just, just to go back to, we were talking about essentially how women sacrifice. What about when, when you have children? Because, you know, women without children perhaps ha have a, a, an easier ride. They can just, you know, keep putting money in. But mothers, I know, are very unselfish people. They want to give everything to their kids, of course. But there's got to be a balance so that they look after themselves as well. What, what's your what's your advice to to mothers in this situation? There, there is definitely a balance. And I have found that, you know, motherhood is an ideal time to actually take stock of your personal finances. I think in addition to checking out where your current pension is, you probably want to figure out what you have in your other pensions. Most of us will have had jobs throughout our lives. The average person switches jobs around 11 times. Um, and so you are quite likely to actually already have pension pots lying around. Um, at Pension B, we can help you combine them into a new online plan that you can watch from your smartphone or from you know just logging in through, through a website. You can make the additional contributions if you can afford to do it. Um, and it gives you a lot of peace of mind to have taken control of that aspect of your finances, I think, ideally shortly before your arrival, but many women also do it, you know, in while they are in the early stages of, of motherhood. The other thing to point out is that motherhood does generally make you think about, well, you know, what if something were to happen to me? And this is a very important point for pensions in particular, because pensions do sit outside of your estate. And so if you were to pass away, um, and in that tragic event, if you were to pass away before the age of 75 without having access to your defined contribution pension, which is what most people have these days, then that would pass tax-free to your beneficiaries. And so I think quite early on, you want to be deciding who your beneficiaries are, um, whether that is a partner or whether that is your children, um, because it's an important family um, decision that needs to be made. Uh, and of course, you know, women should be making it partially for themselves and partially for their children. Very good point. Yes. And, uh, you know, you're talking about this, uh, you know, the, the whole sort of family aspect and uh, passing away. Um, Jessica, there's also the issue of divorce and widowhood with pensions. I mean, I, I still hear, I'm sure you, of women missing out on their ex's pension in divorce and then uh, widowed women suddenly finding that the pension that their husband had doesn't doesn't uh, come back to them. You know, what sort of things do, do women need to be aware of when it comes to divorce and widowhood, particularly? Yeah, there are some real horror stories when it comes to uh, pensions being left out of, of divorce settlements, but they really shouldn't. Um, a pension is generally your second or even your largest asset after property. It's usually the biggest thing that you should be taking into account. So it definitely shouldn't be forgotten. Um, last month i wrote about the fact that um 
the amount of couples that were ordered to, to split their pension during divorce fell to a 10-year low. So um, fewer and fewer are doing it. And that's it's a real problem um, mm. with a lot of the women I speak to. So there's there, there are three main ways, I'll just briefly go through them, that you can split your pension divorce. One is the pension sharing is called. You split it immediately at the time of the divorce. Mm. Um, you each take whatever share you're due. Um, and and that's the, the most common way of doing it. Um, the second is pension offsetting. So that's where you find two assets, so your pension and another asset, say the property that you think is worth roughly similar value, um, and you just take one or, or the other and go your, your own way. The final is pension earmarking. So that happens the least, but that's where you wouldn't receive your pension until your partner starts to take theirs. Um, so that might take years to come through. Um, but as soon as they start to receive theirs, you then get a portion of that. So it also works. But as long as you have one of these three uh, versions, I guess you're at least getting, you know, what what you should. You're getting what you're owed. I'm really surprised to hear, as you say, that it, that's going down, because I, I thought that people were become becoming more aware of the fact that you can split your pension at, in, in divorce. So is that not happening? I mean, I thought it was as well, but clearly the figures seem to say that fewer are. Um, and I, I don't know why it's fallen to such a low, but in, in the courts, it's just not being ordered to, to be done as much as it was before. Oh, odd. Romy, what about widowhood and everything? I mean, there's, there seems to be a, a box that each spouse should be ticking on their pensions to make sure that the, whoever's left over, if one of them passes on, gets gets the the pension is is that the case uh, absolutely it's a decision that you want to be making together as a couple while you can um it also slightly depends on the type of pension that you have uh, so some people will have the older style defined benefit pensions uh, which will have specific rules as to how much a spouse will be paid on the death of the individual who is the primary owner of the pension. Mm -hmm. um, and you should check your paperwork to ensure that you understand exactly what that means for you in, you know, in that tragic scenario. Mm -hmm. um, in a defined contribution pension, which is the modern type of pension that most people have these days, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's still very important to nominate your beneficiary. So with Pension B, you can do it easily online in a couple of taps. Um, with some other pension providers, you may have to fill out forms and send them in the post, but it's still very much worth it to let the pension provider know that this is what you would like to do. Um, and, and so that they can take that, um, you know, that so-called expression of wish into account. Uh, and sorting that out is pretty much as important as sorting out your will and should be done alongside it. Um, and you should, you know, definitely ensure that you are communicating to your pension provider in addition to documenting what you would like to have happen in your will um, so that there is absolutely no lack of clarity um, as to what decisions should be taken at the time. This all does rest on a good relationship. Let's be let's be honest, you know, you you need to have a good relationship where you're both talking about money, you're talking about the will, you're talking about pension, you're happy for that. Because I have heard 
some you know rather unpleasant stories where where the, the husband has purposely actually kept the wife out of his pension partly because you get more and partly because he thought oh, I'm not having letting her you know much of this does seem to me to mean that you need a good relationship you, you do and I think also as you know as an important contributor to any relationship I think you know women should ask uh, because sometimes you might not know exactly what the pension situation with your partner is and what their employer's benefits have been like. Many people don't look at benefits beyond salary when they're taking a job. And so it may be that even your partner hasn't explored this aspect of their benefit package. Um, and there's no reason why women shouldn't be the first to ask. And so finally, Romy, what's the biggest piece of advice you would give to women when it comes to having enough for their retirement, whether they're in a relationship or whether they're single? I think the single most important piece of advice is to start early with as much as you can. Uh, the single, you know, biggest intervention that you can make to your future income is how much you put in today. Uh, and because of investment returns, the longer your money has to grow, the more beneficial it is to you ultimately. It can be really off-putting to think about pensions and tax and, you know, complex paperwork, but you can do it in an easy way. And I think future you will really thank you. Oh, yes, certainly. And Jessica, a final question for you. What's your advice for women who are approaching retirement now, maybe late 50s, early 60s, thinking about retirement? I think the, the first place to start, as we said earlier, is just getting a grasp on it. So try to think, you know, draw up a budget. How much, when do you plan to retire? How much do you think you might need for every year of retirement just roughly and then you can get an idea of whether you're on track with your pension and whether you need to start putting more into it or if you're saving enough and you you'll be fully comfortable um the other thing is check your state pension will you get the full state pension because that's a danger a lot of people think that they will and they factor that in when they do all the budgeting and then find that they they don't they won't get as much as they planned because you can boost the amount that you get in your state pension if you're close to retirement and you realize you miss some years of uh, national insurance contributions you can fill those years you can pay up so that you'll get more throughout retirement so there's still time to act but just make sure that ahead of time you're ready and you know exactly what's coming that's great advice. Thank you both of you so much. Really so very helpful to have you both on the podcast, giving us all of that helpful information. And that's your lot from us today. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is, of course, Money Magpie. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jasmine and on Instagram at Jasmine Bertels. This episode is sponsored by leading online pension provider, Pension B, which has enabled more than half a million customers to be pension confident by helping them combine their old pensions into one simple online plan. Head to Pension B for more information. I'm Jasmine Bertels, and my guests today were Romy Savova, CEO and founder of Pension B, and Jessica Beard, financial journalist from The Telegraph newspaper. The producer, was Jenny Bertels.